Well, if you didn't know, I just got back from a 12-day vacation in a 31-foot RV with my wife and five children. We drove down the West Coast to Northern California, went down to Santa Cruz, came up the Oregon coast. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for being so gracious to Pastor Chris Price, who was here last week. I know he was a blessing to you. And I got to tell you, this vacation reminded me how blessed I am to have kids. You know, I believe I am more blessed with my five children than the man who has $5 million dollars because the man who has $5 million wants six. (laughs) I love the two-second pause. It's just fantastic. It's fantastic. We're in our message series on the life of Jesus, and we're going through all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in chronological order, because we want to understand the life that Jesus led, what he taught, what he did, what he was really all about. We want to see it in the Bible in black and white for ourselves and know him firsthand. And this week, we pick up with Jesus and his disciples returning from a region known as the Decapolis, a group of 10 cities on the Gentile, non-Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. And if you'll remember from our last message in this series a couple of weeks ago, Jesus just cast demons out of a couple of horrifically possessed men on that side of the Sea of Galilee, and now he's coming back to where most Bible scholars suggest is most likely Capernaum. It's his home base, his hometown in the northern region of Israel at that time. And Jesus and his word are going to begin hammering the importance of faith in the life of the believer over these next few encounters. The Bible is going to be very emphatic and repetitive that faith is our part in the miraculous workings of God on the earth. So let's dig into our study. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament, verse 21. Let's jump right in. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. Luke's gospel tells us they were all waiting for him. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, I want you to underline saying, we're going to come back to that, that's going to be important, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Luke's gospel goes into a little more detail. It tells us this was his only daughter and we'll learn later that she was only 12 years old. And just to clear up any confusion, because this account also appears in Matthew and Luke, and in Matthew's account, Jairus shows up and says that his daughter has just died. And this shouldn't be viewed as a contradiction, because events are going to make it clear that Jairus' daughter was basically at the point of death. And so when he comes to Jesus, he is aware that his daughter could be dead right now, could be dead at any second. The best way to think of it is that Jairus is saying, my daughter is as good as dead. And so we struggle to grasp What a massive gesture this was by Jairus. As one of the rulers of the synagogue, he would have been a powerful social, spiritual, and political leader in his community. He would have been respected. We'll see that he would have been a man of great means. He would have been a man of wealth. And if you remember, around this time, most of the synagogue leaders in the cities that Jesus was visiting were plotting to kill him. Not fans. Not fans. Jairus would have been risking his job, his status, his position, his wealth, his membership at the synagogue, everything by coming to Jesus. Because he doesn't do it discreetly. He comes in public, he falls at the feet of Jesus, begs him for help, and in asking him for help, he is confessing that he believes Jesus has the power 
to miraculously heal his dead daughter. He risks everything. Why? Because he's desperate. His only daughter is dying, and there is nothing anybody can do. Her condition is incurable. It's hopeless. Now let me ask you, do you think that Jairus might have tried every doctor he could find before he came to Jesus? Do you think he's tried every other option? Absolutely. Jesus is not his first choice. It's not his first option. He's at the feet of Jesus because he's out of options, and he's desperate, and he's willing to risk everything. If you have a kid, you understand. He's in that desperate state of mind. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And I love the heart of Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, um, aren't you part of that uh, group of guys who's plotting to kill me? Yeah, that's going to be an issue for me. He goes with him. He says, let's go. And they begin the journey to Jairus' house. Tons of people are following him. They're saying, this is going to be great. We're going to see a miracle firsthand. And I'm sure Jairus is doing everything he can to move people out of the way and hurry Jesus along as fast as he can because the situation is dire. Seconds count. Every moment matters in this situation. And we're going to see that everything that happens to Jairus, everything that happens to Jairus from this moment forward is preparing him to be a part of a miracle. Everything. And while Jairus is frantically hurrying to get Jesus to his dying daughter, the worst possible thing happens. An interruption. It says, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for, and you might want to underline, 12 years. How old is Jairus' daughter? She's 12 years old. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think so either. One of the things you're going to learn about the Bible is the importance of seemingly unnecessary details. The Jews who study the Old Testament scriptures, the rabbis would say, when you find an unnecessary detail in the Bible, it's like a signpost that says, dig here. If you dig a little deeper, you're going to find a treasure there. And this is one of those. We're going to see this. But what a contrast. You see, Jairus was famous, and this woman is, is anonymous. Jairus is wealthy. We're going to find out this woman is in poverty. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. This woman wasn't even allowed in the synagogue because under the Levitical law, she would have been declared unclean as a result of this unstoppable internal hemorrhage. For the past 12 years, Jairus' life has been filled with good things and the joy and laughter that only a child can bring to your home. For the past 12 years, this woman's life has been marked by suffering and pain and darkness. Her husband would have divorced her by now. She would have had no friends. She wouldn't have even been allowed in crowds in public, but we're going to see that she's desperate too, just like Jairus is. She would have been socially ostracized and outcast. Nobody would want anything to do with her. The text goes on and tells us more about her condition. It says, she had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This condition had cost her everything, and she's now at the point of poverty. And we can be sure that, that while she was medically alive, I'm sure she felt very much like a dead person walking. She had no life. She had no life in the cruelest sense of the phrase. Isolated, lonely, and hopeless. Like Jairus, she had tried every other option, and that's what led her to Jesus. There were simply no other options left. 
One small note I find a bit funny is in Luke's gospel, he leaves out the line that seeing the physicians actually left her worse off. Now, now why do you think that is? What's Luke's profession? He's a doctor. It's just a little professional courtesy on, on his part. And by the way, I love doctors. I go to doctors when I'm sick too, okay? Just a little amusing aside. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd. And then I want you to underline touched and touched his garment. For she said, I want you to underline said, if, I, if only I may touch, underline touch again, his clothes, I shall be made well. So why did she come behind him? Because she wanted to be discreet. She didn't want to be noticed. She wasn't even supposed to be there. Under the law, she was unclean. She shouldn't have been out in public, shouldn't have been in the crowd. And the part of Jesus' garment that she's really trying to touch is the hem of his garment. It's the bottom edge, the fringe of his robe. It's significant because in our culture, we generally wear rank and position on the shoulder or on the sleeve. If you're talking about the army or the navy, that's where we denote rank and importance. But in Mesopotamian culture at the time, they wore rank and position and influence on the pattern that was a part of the hem of their garment. If you were to strip the hem of someone's garment, it would be symbolic of stripping them of their authority, their position, even their personality. If a husband wanted to divorce his wife, one of the ways he could do that was by tearing the hem off her garment, indicating that she was no longer under his authority. If people wanted to, to sign a document in soft clay, they would press the unique pattern of that hem in there, and when the clay dried, it would be in there. It would be a signature of sorts for them. So there's a lot to this. What she's doing is she's reaching out, and she's trying to touch the symbol of Jesus's authority. And I like this because her theology is terrible. It's awful. She's so off base. She's more superstitious than anything. She's thinking, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, and we go, wow, what great faith. No, she's just terrible theology is what she had. She's superstitious. She thinks his robe is magical, and she's going to touch this. But she has faith that Jesus has the power in him to heal her. And Jesus doesn't turn around to her and say, woman, come back when your doctrine is more scripturally sound. Be gone. She has faith, and Jesus' attitude is going to be, we can start there. I can work with that. I can work with that. We can work out the details later. In verse 29, it says, Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. One of Satan's favorite lies is, you can't go to Jesus in the condition you're in. You need to clean yourself up first. You need to become a little more respectable. You need to get your junk together before you come to Jesus. And that's a lie because what we see here is what happens when the unclean comes into contact with Jesus. It's made clean. It's made whole. It's healed. And if you're keeping your distance from Jesus because you feel too unclean or you think you need to get yourself healed before you go to him, you need to know that's a lie. You need to go to Jesus to be made whole. You need to go to Jesus. I love this woman because she expended the energy to pursue Jesus. Write this down. She expended the energy to pursue Jesus, reach out, and touch him. She didn't stand on the edge of the crowd and complain, you know, I wish Jesus would touch me, but it just doesn't seem to be happening for me. No, 
She didn't do that. She worked her way through the crowd, through the distractions, through the obstacles, through all the excuses, and she pursued Jesus, and she reached out, and she touched Jesus, and she got healed. If you're desperate for a touch from Jesus, or you feel like he doesn't seem to be touching you, then you reach out and you touch him. You pursue him. There's gonna be worship and communion and prayer after the message today. That's your chance. Pursue him. Pursue him. Ask for prayer. Do whatever it takes, and you'll be changed. I guarantee it. So today even, are you a member of the crowd? You're just seeing what's going on? Or are you somebody today who is determined to reach out and touch Jesus and have an encounter with Jesus? Or are you just here to see what's going on? Verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who, underline, touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? Underline, touched again. In Luke's gospel, Jesus said, somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. What a strange scene this was. It would have been like, like being in a mosh pit and in the middle of the mosh pit, somebody says, everybody stop. Who touched me? Somebody just touched me. And you're thinking, everybody just touched you. What are you, what are you talking about? That's what the disciples are thinking. This woman must have been terrified in this moment. Must have been terrified in this moment because everybody stops. Everyone's looking around. She knows. He knows. She's not even supposed to be there. Verse 32, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus knows that this woman touched him. He knows who she is. Do you think he knows her story too? Do you think he knows her background? Of course he does. Of course he does. He isn't asking her for information. He's not trying to embarrass her. What Jesus is really saying is he's saying, I need you to tell your story to all these people right now. And it has to be right now. Just tell your story. So write this down. Jesus is asking the woman to simply tell her story. He's asking her to simply tell her story. And you know what? She did. Because how do we know she'd been sick for 12 years? How do we know she had tried every doctor and none of them had been able to help? How do we know she had spent all her money? She told her story. That's how we know. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith, and then underline faith, has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. I love this. Most Bible scholars agree this woman is much, much older than Jesus, but for some reason he calls her daughter. Jesus is the only person who can call a woman who's older than him daughter. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Whoever you are, he's older. I guarantee it. He's speaking on the Father's behalf. Can you imagine the emotional impact that term had on that woman? After 12 years of hopelessness and isolation, Jesus calls her daughter, as in member of my family. You're in my family, daughter. But something else is happening here too. Don't, don't forget, it. in all of this wonderful moment, there's somebody who's not going, oh, praise God, this is wonderful. And that person is Jairus because every second this unfolds, his daughter is one second closer to death. 
He's urgent. He's like, yay, praise God, hallelujah, let's go, Jesus, come on, come on, come on. She's like, you know, she probably starts her story, and she says, you know, I was born in the small town. He's like, yeah, 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 let's get to the good part. Come on, come on, come on, let's get it going. He's frantic. It's an interruption. His daughter's dying, and yet in the fog, in the tears and the panic, he begins noticing some strange parallels here, and these words start jumping out to him as this woman tells her story, and he hears, daughter, daughter, my daughter, my daughter's dying, sick for 12 years, my my daughter's 12. Doctors couldn't help. Tried everything. No hope. Just like my daughter. Heard about Jesus. Just a touch from him and I'd be healed. So why does Jesus force this woman, seemingly cruelly, out of her comfort zone and ask her to tell her story? A story that some would say is very, very personal. Not something you'd willingly volunteer why did he say tell your story in front of all these people and do it right now why do you do that because there's somebody there who desperately needed to hear her testimony at that exact moment because his entire world was about to come crashing down verse 35 while he while jesus was still speaking some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, from Jairus' house, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? It's over, Jairus. It's too late. You took too long. Your daughter's dead. And if you're a parent, you can only imagine the shock and emotion that cascades over Jairus as he tries to wrap his head around this tragedy and Wait, wasn't wasn't Jesus wasn't Jesus going to heal my daughter? This this is this is all wrong. And why are why are there all these parallels with this woman's story? If this if my daughter's dead, how come how come she gets healed but my little girl dies? What what about me, Jesus? Where's my miracle? And it's all going crazy. And and in that moment of confusion and panic, I imagine Jesus grabs Jairus and looks him dead in the eyes, and everything that's happened suddenly comes together into this moment. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, he said to Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. And you want to underline that in your Bibles. You see, Jairus needed to hear the story, the testimony of that woman at that exact moment because his faith was about to be shaken to the core. And Jesus brings it all together by saying to Jairus, you've just seen me do the impossible for this woman. And I'm going to do the impossible for your daughter too. In other accounts of the story, he says, just believe and your daughter will be made well. But Jairus, you have a part to play in this. You have a responsibility. Jairus, here's what I need from you. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And in the original language, that phrase only believe means keep on believing. Or almost 2,000 years before Journey sang it, don't stop (laughs) believing. It means don't lose faith now. You had faith when you came to me, Jairus. Don't lose it. Continue in that same faith. Don't lose it. And I'm going to do something, Jairus. 
Verse 37, and he permitted no one to follow him, speaking of Jesus, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. This is one of the first times we get to see that Jesus had, he had a special relationship with these three men, Peter, James, and John. This was his inner circle of closest friends, even within the 12. And at this point, Jesus tells the other disciples in the crowd who was following to stay behind and let him go on alone. He says, guys, guys, you stay here. This is not for the crowd. This is not even for all of you. I need to go on alone. Verse 38, then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, came to Jairus' house, and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. In that culture, they had professional mourners who would wail and weep and dress in black to make a big spectacle of the person's death. There would have been pipers playing dirges in D minor, the saddest of all keys. This was a service that only wealthy people could afford. And it's one of the ways we can tell that Jairus was a man of means. And so Jesus walks into this and they're all there crying, saying the daughter's name, doing this weird shrieking sort of thing that they do in the Middle East. Verse 39, when he, when Jesus came in, he said to them, this is a classic Jesus, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Other accounts will say they mocked him to scorn. They're making fun of him. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy has lost his mind. So who are, who are these people who are there? Who are there? They're all Jewish, all Jewish. They're all supposed to be believers. And in addition to the professional mourners, they would have been friends of the family, probably friends who'd been praying for Jairus' daughter, people who cared deeply about the family. But when it all came down to it, they wouldn't hold on to the words of Jesus with the family. They couldn't be found adding faith to the situation. They were the realists. They were the ones who, who wanted to help the family by just putting things in perspective. This is important. Underline and take note of the very next line because it tells us how Jesus responded to their ridicule. I love all of verse 40, and they ridiculed him. Next sentence. But when he had put them all outside. <laughs> I just love that. Just immediately to it. Jesus is like, okay, you got to go. See ya. Sayonara. Shalom. Get out of here. Okay. That's his immediate response. You got to go. You got to get out of here. Take your wailing and leave. And we'll talk about this more in a moment, but you need to realize that the doubt of these people, not just doubt in the situation. You got to understand this. Jesus has spoken in this situation and they are saying, we will not take what Jesus has said seriously. Their doubt disqualified them from participating in a miracle. Jesus said, you don't get to play. Out you go. Then it goes on. It says, Jesus, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, immediately, the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years. You might want to underline 12 years of age. What a moment. Jesus gives us here a massive, massive lesson in faith and the miraculous. In this instance, we see two responsibilities that we have in God doing a miracle. These are our miraculous responsibilities. Write this down. Firstly, faith. Firstly, faith. Jairus needed to have faith in order for this miracle to happen. And when his faith was shaken to the core, when it was threatened, Jesus used the testimony of a woman Jairus had never even met before to build his faith, to strengthen his faith, to call Jairus to continue in faith. 
Faith was so important when Jairus was threatened, Jesus arranged for this woman to be there and pump up his faith again because his faith had to be in place in this situation. The first ingredient is our faith. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we saw the disciples in the boat with Jesus and they're terrified, the storm is happening, Jesus is sleeping. The disciples wake him up and they say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And we talked about how the word in the original language for said, when it says they said that, is the Greek word lego. And it means it was their meditation. They're saying it over and over again. It's like a speech. It's a discourse. It's all they're thinking about. They were repeating it. And we talked about how their meditation was doubt and fear instead of faith. In verse 23, it says that Jairus begged him earnestly, and then I had you underline, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Guess what the word is in the original language for saying in verse 23? It's lego. It's lego. And then in verse 28, it tells us this about the woman. For she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. What do you think the original word is there when it says she said? It's lego again. The disciples had a meditation of doubt and fear, but both Jairus and the sick woman had meditations of faith. If I can touch Jesus, if Jesus will touch my daughter, I'll be healed. She will be healed. Jairus is saying to himself over and over, if Jesus will touch my daughter, she will live. She's saying to herself over and over, if I can just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. And what's the result? Jairus' daughter is healed immediately the woman is healed immediately because he obeys jesus's command to keep on believing and the woman is healed according to jesus's own words because of her faith because of her faith make faith your meditation you have a meditation i promise you have a meditation when it comes to that impossible situation you're facing you have one it is either doubt and fear or it is faith make it faith And you won't be able to do that unless you add the second ingredient. Write this down. Moving out the mockers. The mockers, the doubters, the ridiculers. You see, their voices had to be removed from the situation. Listen, if you're going to live the life of faith that Jesus wants you to, there is no room in your life for unbelieving believers. There is no room in your life for unbelieving believers faith leeches. There's no room for them. There's no room for them. I'm talking about good people who might love you, who might pray for you, but never add faith. They always got to be the realists. They always got to bring you down to earth as if that won't happen all by itself. It'll, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You know. I don't know if you've realized this, but you never need the voice of doubt. You've always got that covered. You've always got it covered. I guarantee it. Nobody needs to fill that role. You don't need a devil's advocate. You've got the devil to be the devil's advocate, okay? We need faith. Those people got to go. Those unbelieving believers, they got to go. These are the same voices that sometimes speak up in your own mind. And here's what I know. Every single person in this room, probably more than once, will have something happen or has had something happen in your life that has shaken you to the core. I'm not talking about a difficult week. I'm talking about the moment, the event, the season that shakes everything you believe right to its foundations. 
and you question everything. If you haven't been through that, burn this message to CD and put it in a drawer and pull it out when it happens because it will happen. In that moment, when everything is falling apart, that's when the voices show up in your own mind questioning the goodness of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the plans of God. Those voices, you gotta move them out. You need to move them out. They have to go. Move them out. There's no room for them. Don't give them a minute. The mocking voices have got to go. They've just got to go. Some of you need deep healing in your life, miraculous healing in your life, and Jesus wants to do a miracle in your life, but he can't because you won't move out the mockers. You won't move out the voices. And it's blocking what God wants to do in your life. Those voices gotta go. Whether they are people in your life, whether they are voices in your own mind and spirit, they gotta go. You gotta move them out so that faith can grow in its place. I'm gonna use this point to share one of my favorite Bible stories of all time. The prophet Elijah had the most epic ending to his ministry ever outside of Jesus. When his time was over, you know how he goes? A flaming chariot from heaven comes for him and takes him up. Best ending ever. That's how I want to go. It's amazing. His apprentice Elisha saw this happen and then he continued Elijah's ministry in an even greater way, empowered by God to do that. One day Elisha is walking from city to city and a group of men, thugs, begin taunting him, shouting, go up you bald head. Go up you bald head. What they're really doing is they're mocking Elisha. They're implying that it's all really BS that Elijah was taken up by a chariot of fire. So they're saying, if you're such a hot prophet, why don't you take a chariot up to heaven too? You go up too. You go up too. They're mocking Elisha's ministry. They're mocking his legitimacy, what God is doing through him. So what does Elisha do? Well, he moves out the mockers. He pronounces a curse on them. It says, in the name of the Lord. And two female bears come out of the woods and maul 42 of them to death. It's how you need to deal with mockers in your own life. Metaphorically, met metaphorically. But one way or another, those voices need to be silenced. They need to be silenced. It goes on, it says, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. You see, Jesus was waiting for a specific day, what we know now as Palm Sunday, to reveal himself publicly as the Messiah. And that was in order to fulfill a very specific prophecy that can be found in Daniel 9 in the Old Testament. So when Jesus says, don't tell anyone, it's because he doesn't want to publicly declare himself to be the Messiah until a specific day, which would be Palm Sunday, when he would ride into Jerusalem and declare himself to be the king of kings. Matthew's gospel tells us that, as usual, they completely ignored Jesus' instructions to keep this a secret. He commanded them strictly that no one should know it, but in Matthew it tells us in the very next verse, and the report of this went out into all that land. I love that. They just can't keep quiet about what Jesus has done for them. There's a lot here for us to take in. There's a lot to learn. I want to point out a few things. Firstly, I want you to recognize how life can change in an instant. It can change in an instant. Both the life of Jairus and the life of the sick woman were radically changed by circumstances that hit them out of the blue. The woman had lived through 12 years of hopelessness, despair, pain, and disappointment, and it all changed in an instant when Jesus touched her life. If you've been living through a season of hopelessness, despair, pain, 
and disappointment. Don't give up. Don't give up. You stay in faith. You stay in faith. The day is coming. Listen, listen to me. The day is coming when Jesus will change everything with one touch. It is irrelevant how impossible it seems. The day is coming. Do not be afraid. Only believe. If you're in the woman's shoes, be encouraged and don't despair. Write that down. If you're in the woman's shoes, be encouraged and don't despair. The day is coming when a touch from Jesus will change everything. And on the flip side, Jairus had been living through 12 years of good things. Wealth, health, climbing the social, religious, and political ladder. Respected and loved by his community. A house filled with the laughter of his precious daughter. And it changed in a moment. In a moment. It was all shaken to the core in a moment. I don't know what he was. I I don't know what he believed. I don't know if he walked around saying, you know, these good things are in my life because I love God. And I am highly favored. And because that's my confession, and because I'm righteous, my life is going well. Whatever he believed, it all came crashing down. Crashing down. In just a moment. Write this down. If you're in Jairus' shoes, don't be spiritually complacent. Don't be spiritually complacent. Don't be that person that thinks everything is good, so I don't really need God right now. Cling tightly. Walk closely with Jesus in the good season. Fill up the well of your spirit with faith so that you have a deep reservoir to draw from when your world comes crumbling down around you. And I know that this is not a feel-good point, but here's what I know. At some point, your world will come crumbling down around you. It will. It's the way of the world. We're in a fallen world. And when it does, the faith you have will be the faith you have. There won't be somewhere you can go to get more. There won't be a switch that you can flick. As a pastor, this is what causes me the greatest anxiety. The people who I see maybe once a month, once every two months who love Jesus, but they're not all in. They're not all in with Jesus. Many of them are going through a serious personal crisis, and I know that there isn't that deep reservoir in them. I know there's not that deep, stored-up faith that they have, and I know that spiritually they're falling apart. They're being eaten alive spiritually because they weren't prepared for the day when the world came crumbling down around them. Other people in this church have a deep walk with the Lord, and I've seen some of you shaken to the core by situations in life. But those of you that have a deep walk with the Lord, let me tell you, I've prayed for you, but I have not worried about you. I have not worried about you because I know you have a deep well stored up. And I know if you need to pull up a ton of buckets full of faith from that well, I know there's enough there to get you through. I know that you might be shaken, but you'll still be standing because I know you have a deep well. You're going to be okay. Please cling to Jesus in the good times. Walk closely with him. Your world might be shaken, but you won't be destroyed. He'll lift you up. You'll make it. If you're in a bad season, don't, don't lose faith can change in an instant with a touch from Jesus, and it will. And if you're in a good season, as sobering as this is to think about it, cling to Jesus because things can change in an instant for you as well. And then there's the incredible power of the woman's testimony. You know, she didn't want to share it. She didn't want to share it. 
It's deeply personal. She didn't want to be in the spotlight. She didn't want the attention. Public speaking is the most common phobia on the planet. Speaking in front of people. It terrifies most people. It might terrify you. But Jesus asked this woman to share her story because he wanted to use it to encourage a man who desperately needed to hear it. A man who desperately needed to have his own faith strengthened. You see, her sharing her story was not about her. It wasn't share your story so that people can tell you what a great speaker you are. It wasn't about her. It was about Jairus. It was about someone else. It was about encouraging the faith of another believer. Write this down. God wants to use your story to encourage the faith of others. He wants to use your story to encourage the faith of others. Yes, even if you weren't in a gang and you didn't murder three people and were never a drug addict, he still wants to use your story to encourage somebody. I don't think that her testimony was eloquent or that she suddenly became a master storyteller. I don't think that suddenly she was like, it was the winter of 1980. A cool breeze was blowing through the air. I don't think that's what happened. She was stuttering, stammering, nervous, probably couldn't look anybody in the eye. She was just a witness recounting what Jesus had done for her. It wasn't flawless or polished. It was raw and it was real. Other believers need to hear your God story. Please hear me on this. Whether you're comfortable or not sharing your story is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's not your story. It's God's story. It's not about you. It's about loving your brothers and sisters in Christ enough to encourage them with what God has done in your life. And sometimes the most amazing testimony is simply God got me through it. He got me through it. We went through this and we came out the other side. He got me through it. And you need to share that because it's about the glory of God. It's not a story for you to keep to yourself. Finally, Jesus' encouragement to Jairus is worth committing to memory. Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Jairus had something very special. He had a specific word from Jesus. Jesus himself had told him that if he continued in faith, his daughter would be healed. You know, the Bible is full of specific promises from Jesus. And many of you have received specific promises from Jesus. Between the people in this room and the people that are going to listen to this message online, I know that there's a divorce that seems inevitable. I know there's a child that seems so far away from God, they'll never come back. I know that there are, are finances that seem irreparable, bankruptcy that seems inevitable. I know that there's a hopeless report from the doctors. It seems like that future spouse is never going to show up. It seems like that dream that God put in your heart is impossible and has been dying before your very eyes. It seems like your employment situation is, is just hopeless. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Those things are not dead. They're only sleeping. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Stay in faith. Move out the mockers. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And I put some questions on your outline for reflection this morning. We're going to have a time of worship and prayer and communion that's coming up. And 
And I want you to work through those, honestly, because there are some challenging things that God is bringing forward to us. Every single one of us can find our lives in the, in the place of the woman, a difficult, dark season that just seems like it's going on forever. It's never going to change. Or in the place of Jairus, where everything just seems so good and clinging to Jesus doesn't seem urgent right now. We're probably all in one of those places. We probably all have an impossible situation that we're praying for, we're praying about. We just stay in faith, move out the mockers, be men and women of faith because we believe that God can and will do it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I just want to share, when Jairus came face to face with death, you know, he knew what to do. He went to Jesus, the only one who has the power to save from even death. And that's true for all of us. Every single one of us has rejected Jesus in some way, and we're all guilty. There's no denying it. And what's the fitting punishment for rejecting God? It's death. It's eternal death. And like Jairus, we have only one hope in our hopeless eternal situation, and that's going to Jesus. And when we do, we discover the most incredible truth that instead of giving us the death we deserve, he took the death that we deserve in our place so that instead we could have a life that never ends. And this is reality. When you come face to face with death, you realize that life is worth everything. And Jesus is life itself. So for the first time today, you're ready to follow Jesus and accept his invitation to join his family, to receive the life that he has that is greater than death. You're going to have the chance to do that today. I want to pray with you after the service. It's the most important thing you could ever do. And for the rest of us, I just want to read this list of questions to you that's on your outline. These are the things I think the Holy Spirit would have us ponder from the Word of God today. Is my meditation, is your meditation, is your confession faith or fear? Are there any mocking voices, internal or external, that you need to silence in order to walk in faith? And just as a man said to Jesus one time, if you're wrestling with unbelief, he prayed a legitimate prayer, God help my unbelief. And if you're in a difficult season, are you expending the energy to pursue Jesus or are you standing in the crowd saying, I wish he would touch me? I wish he would touch me. Or are you saying, I don't care what it takes to get to him, I'm going to go touch him. I'm going to get my healing. If you're in a good season, are you storing up a deep well of faith? Are you being complacent? Ponder these things in your own life. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Let's be people who view the miraculous as normal. That it may be a dark season right now, but the God I serve can change it all in a moment. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that nothing is too difficult for you. As you've said in your word, is the arm of the Lord too short? Is anything too difficult for you? The answer, of course, is that nothing is too difficult for you. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would release faith in this room into our lives. 
that fear would be replaced by faith and confidence in the greatness of the God that we serve. In Jesus' name, we rebuke those internal voices that mock your greatness, that mock your power, that mock your ability to change any situation in an instant. In Jesus' name, we silence those voices and we declare that they have no place in our lives. They do not deserve a second of our time. And they cannot dwell in the same place that the Almighty God does inside of us. Father, we believe in you and we believe you that you can do it. God, we pray for healing. We pray for faith. We pray for the miraculous, the removal of fear. That we would not be people of fear, but those who continue in faith. Continue in faith. I pray that you would stir up hope this morning where there is despair. In Jesus' name.